Okay, let's try this again. Am I okay now, Brother Randy? Okay, good. Well, if you would, turn with me again to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Come back to that again. Psalm 115. If you would, out of respect for the word of God, would you please stand? Let's read Psalm 115. The word of God. Let us hear it together. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth has he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Let us pray together again. Our Father, we thank you again that you are the living God. And that your word is true and that you have preserved it for us. And now, Father, how much we need you. Would you come? Would you come and enrich our hearts, enlarge our hearts? God, come and dwell among us, we pray. Help us to taste and see that you are indeed gracious. Be with us now, we pray. Magnify your son. Help me, I pray, to hide behind the cross so that we would just see Jesus. Hear us and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. After calling upon God to glorify his name, even among the heathen, the psalmist gave us a glimpse, a glimpse into idol worship. We simply call that idolatry. 
he tells us twice that they are man-made. They that made them. Verse 8. The idols are the works of men's hands. Verse 4. They are all man-made. They are the works of the imagination of men's hearts. As one of the old writers said, the human heart is nothing but a factory of idols. These idols can be made, sold, and bought. They are made of silver and gold, seem to be worth something, but they don't function well. They have body parts, but they don't work. In a nutshell, they are not real. Behind idolatry is demons. Or maybe I should say are demons. There is something behind idolatry. Not only is it demons, but it's the fleshliness of man. It's that desire to be God. It's that desire also to be in control. There is a secrecy to dethrone the Most High in the human heart. Men would love for God to do anything and to be everywhere. I said that backwards. Men would love for God to do anything and everything except the one thing, give commands. Let me say that again. Men would love for God to do anything, bail us out of anything, except to do one thing, and that gives command. We don't want a being that will tell us what to do. We're not like that, humanly speaking. We don't mind telling others what to do, but we don't want to be told what to do. It's just not in human nature. The distinction between the God of heaven and earth and the so-called gods is realness. That's the distinction. One is real and others are not. So the psalmist makes a contrast, a contrast between the living God and gods that are not alive. That's what he's doing in the psalm. Whatever the occasion may be, it could be the children of Israel are in captivity. It could be that they are sensing some type of oppression. But one thing is crucial in their minds. We do not want glory. We want you to get all the glory. That's in their mind. Oh, wouldn't it be lovely if that was the desire of all the churches? That when we gather, one thing we want is for God to be glorified. Idols are on earth, and the living God is in heaven. This signifies that God is above all else, higher than all the so-called gods. Furthermore, the living God is universal. It's right here in the text. He is in the heavens. What, what do they mean by that when they say that? He is universal, meaning God is everywhere. Everywhere. Idols are confined to one location. They can't be everywhere. 
Idols are created and are ruled by men. The living God is uncreated and rules over men. That's the distinction. So I just want to speak a little bit tonight. The living God or idols. The living God or idols. The living God does what he wants. That's what the psalmist says. And idols do what men want. (laughs) Maybe I didn't say that right. Let me see if I could put it a different way for you. The living God does what he wants. And idols do what men want. That's why we make idols. We want to be in control. So we saw that the psalmist last week, we saw that the psalmist called upon God to glorify his name. In verse 1, not unto us. I love the way it starts. It seems like this should be a regular routine. Maybe it should be read every Sunday just to remind us again. We are gathered, but not unto us. Not unto us, but unto your name. Get all the glory. He said, glorify your name. The reason being was so that it would answer to the heathen's charge. Its charge is right there in the text in verse 2. Why should the heathen say God is absent? We live in a world where people think that. It's, 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 it's actually hard to imagine something like that. But if you have a, just, just physical sight to imagine that God doesn't exist, it, it seems to be the height. Well, it shouldn't seem to be. It's the height of insanity. I was just talking to the children today. I said, you know, as long as I've been on the earth, I've seen the sun do the same thing, rise in the east and set in the west. Rise. I haven't seen it do anything differently. And I didn't put it there. No one on earth put it there. But it does the same thing over and over. It has a daily routine because it's governed by a sovereign power. He wants God. They want God to magnify his name among the heathen. We said glory has to do with weightiness or worthiness. We went a little further. We can say beauty as well as majesty. Someone who is very impressive. Glory. God is very impressive. We want to be impressed with people. And we want to impress people. I I still remember my, my sister when we were much younger that my dad took us to an event and it was what would you call stars or celebrities, stars in the sky, but celebrities, if you will. And I still remember a celebrity touching my sister on the cheek. My sister, oh, I'm never going to wash my face again. She, she did, by the way, wash her face again. <laughs> but when we see, quote, celebrities, we're caught up. We're excited. Oh, he said hi to me. He waved at me. We are excited. What madness. It's amazing. Someone can tell us hi who who is famous, and we can hear from Jesus all the time, and don't we move at all. Something's wrong. We're caught up, so to speak, with human beings and impressing one another. What a waste. 
one who's very, who's very, who's very, who's the most impressive, we're not quite impressed with. The psalmist say, God, glorify your name. You are impressive. You are majestic. You are worthy. You are weighty. Get glory to your name. The psalmist returns the answer to the heathen's question. Where is your God? We said before, we've probably been there in your own mind, maybe in a particular circumstance, under particular conditions. You've been there wondering what's going on. Where's God in all of this? It's not the first time someone has asked that question, and it won't be the last time. The answer is always the same, though. God is where he's always been, and God is where he will always be on the throne. But he gives that answer. He said, God is on the throne. That's where he is, and he's on the throne calling the shots. But our God is in the heavens. That would just be enough right there. Our God, you want to know where he is? He's in the heaven. He's not on earth like man-made God, so to speak. He doesn't have one location. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. God is the only one that could be all places without traveling. No man-made image. These images that are just taking up space. He turns the attention then of the congregation after giving the description of all of these God and what a, what a description it is. He said, they're God, they're idols. Here's our God. He's in heaven. He's sovereign. He does whatsoever he pleases. He doesn't have to check with Congress. He doesn't have to talk to the Speaker of the House. He is the Speaker of the House. He doesn't have to check in with governmental official, Senate, or anyone else. He just does what he pleases. No question asked. And he doesn't have to give an explanation of it. He said, but their gods, their idols are silver and gold. They're expensive. But it's just the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but I don't know why they have them because they can't speak. He said, they have eyes, but I don't know why they have them because they can't see. They have hands, but I don't know why, because they handle nothing. And they have feet, but they're not mobile. They have to be carried. Why would we bow down to something like that? That's insanity. They say they have throats, but they can't even clear their throat. <laughs> what, what a picture. They can't even clear their throats. They that make them, and then he gives this rebuke in verse 8. They that make them are like unto them. Okay, we have the makers who are like unto them, and we have those who trust in them, who worship them. They are all in the same boat. Can I sum it up with one word? Stupid. They're all in the same boat. Remember how we've defined stupidity. At least my definition. Ignorant is when you don't know. Stupid is the one you know is wrong and you do it anyways. <laughs> That's stupid. We've been stupid in some things, not ignorant. So that's the picture the psalmist gives us. And then he turns to this. Number one, the command to trust in the Lord. It's right there in verse 9. After telling us the worshiper and the maker are all foolish 
And being just like these gods, we can summarize it this way maybe, saying that they are both blind, deaf, dumb, lame, maimed, dead. In the words of my son, Micah, they just never been made alive. And now it's this command to trust in the Lord in verse 9. Oh, Israel, trust thou in the Lord. You see the contrast? The worshiper, the maker, they trust in these idols. But oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. So after speaking of the nature of idolatry, the maker of the idols, the worshiper of the idols, their stupidity, the psalmist moves to a charge to the children of Israel to trust in the Lord. In other words, to be fully confident in him and to be fully committed to him. You got to have both. We have to be fully confident in God, but we also have to be fully committed to God. There is no trust without commitment. None. If we say we're trusting the Lord but not committed to the Lord, I would say you never trusted the Lord. Amen. At least not at that moment. They go hand in hand. Belief, trust has the word in it of a commitment. Committed to God. God's committed to us. I'm obligated to God. I'm going to say this. Yes, I am. I'm obligated to God. And God is obligated to us. I know we say sometimes God is not under any obligation. That's not true. <laughs> not if I'm reading my Bible right. That's not true. God has placed himself under obligation. That's what he's done. I didn't put him under obligation. He placed himself under obligation. God is obligated to save every single person he gave to his son. He's obligated to do that. He's obligated to pardon everyone he's given to his son. He's obligated to do that. And he's obligated to get them to glory. He's obligated to do that. And he will. He will. He's placed himself under obligation. And if I'm truly his, he's obligated to take care of me. <laughs> we could be like Psalm 121, right? I lift up my eyes unto the hill from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord that make heaven and earth. He that keep thee will not slumber, right? Ain't no need for me to stay up all night if God's up. Go to bed. He that keeps thee will not slumber. He's wide awake. He's obligated to take care of us. So in this trust, we ought to be obligated to him. That's what it calls for, a total reliance on God. That's our responsibility. So there is no competition between God and idols. There is to be no competition. I'm going to say it again. There is to be no competition between God and idols. And listen, an idol can be anything. Your career can be an idol. It could be anything. Your children could be an idol. My children could be an idol. I said last week, I'll say it again. I try to keep in my mind's eyes. Oh, in my mind's eye, right? Don't hold those children too tight. They become idols. Don't hold them too loose. Then you neglect them. Anything could become an idol. Preaching could become an idol. Are you listening? Schooling our children, we love to do that. That can become idolatry. Anything. 
An idol could be anything. Let's go on and on. There is to be no competition between the living God and idols. Why? Because we cannot serve both. You cannot. You cannot. With human beings, it will always come down. Listen, it will always come down to the true God or false gods. Always. Maybe I should say it a different way. It will always come down to the living God and idols. Always. We will cling to one or the other, but we will not cling to both. You cannot. At least that's what the Lord Jesus said. No man can serve. No man, literally no one or none can serve, actively serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other. He said you can't do it. It's impossible. He will either hate the one or love the other or else he will hold fast to the one, devote himself completely to the one and despise the other. You do one or the other. I will do one or the other. We have to either serve the living God or idols. And I ask the question before I go any further, which one are you serving? Joshua said something similar to the children of Israel before he died. When he traced out the history of Abraham and the idolatry that God brought Abraham out of and how he gave him Isaac and from Isaac would come Jacob and hence we would have the 12 sons and from there we would have this nation, the children of Israel. As Joshua traced out that history in Joshua chapter 24, he told them something interesting. He said, the Lord brought them, brought them in and out of Egypt, delivering them from their enemies along the way so that they would inherit the land he promised. Then he said this. Now that they are in their land, he says these words. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. That's, again, commitment. Serve him in sincerity. It has to be real. We don't want a fake form of Christianity. We want something that's real. Serve him in sincerity. Wholehearted Christianity is what God is calling for. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father serves on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt. And serve you the Lord. He doesn't have to say anymore. <laughs> what he's calling them to? Repentance. That's what he's doing without even using the word. Put away. That's repentance. Put away and serve. Put away the ones your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Then he says these famous words that people like to put on their wall in their house. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if this seems evil, if you don't want to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Now, I want to say this. This is not my topic, but I just want to say it for clarity. We generally say, God said, God said through Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. He's already talked about the Lord. He's moved from that. He's now just talking about idols. Listen carefully to his language. He said, if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Here are the choices. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites. 
You serve any one of these idols that you want. That's your choice. If it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose you this day one of these idols that you will serve. That's the text. And whose land ye, ye dwell, but as for me and my house, because it's my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a similar language, so to speak, in Psalm 115, where the psalmist is saying, Israel, don't trust in idols, trust in the Lord. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the living God. One of the church fathers said something like this. What each one honors, loves, and admires before all else is his God. Can I just give that to you one more time? I like it. He said, what each one, each one of us honors, loves, and admires before all else. That's your God, whatever it is. So it's that command to trust in the Lord. We are commanded, along with Israel, to trust in the Lord because he himself has said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a command. Exclusively. Worship belongs to him. No other God besides the living God totally committed to him. And just in case we are not clear about what God is saying, he says something like this in the second command when he said, do not make any images. He's crystal clear of what you see in the sky, on earth, or in the sea. Don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. Worship is exclusively mine. You might say, how selfish of God. No, it's not. He's a creator. He can call those shots like that. He made us. We, we are privileged just to serve him. You know, to serve him is just a privilege. You know, the Lord allows us to serve him. If I can say it to say, we get to serve him. That's a privilege. What a privilege. We should want to serve him. Ah, we should delight to serve him. We should be glad in serving him. We should love to serve him. All the great things he has done for us. Now, if you think God hasn't done anything for you, then I'm just speaking in a foreign language. God is jealous over his worship, and he will bring judgment upon those who worship idols because it shows that they hate him, their creator. It shows that. Any form of idolatry, any form, any form of idolatry shows somewhat a despising of the Most High. The idols of this world are nothing. We ought to trust them because the idols of this world are nothing. There's no need for us to put all of our confidence, confidence in man. It's going to fail you. He's going to die, and he can't save you. There's no need to do it. Idols are nothing. We need not fear them <laughs> for some reason. I think it's a reason for it. We're scared of darkness. Usually as children, some adults. I know adults still sleep with the light on. 
When you rest in, in the great God, there's nothing to fear. Right. <laughs> Absolutely nothing at all. God had told the children of Israel, don't fear their idols because they are nothing. They are nothing. Not that they are dead, but they're not even alive. They are nothing. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God. True, meaning they are false ones. Living, meaning there are not, not others that are alive. And he's an everlasting king. Jeremiah 10.10. 10. But not only are we commanded to trust in the Lord, he gives us the reasons why we should trust in the Lord. It's right there. And he said, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. Why? He is their help and their shield. I love it. He is our help. The word signifies that God is our support. We have a support system with the living God. It speaks of someone coming to the aid of another. The fact that the Lord is our help shows that what? We need help. It shows that we need help. If you don't think you need help, guess what? I can tell you right now, you're not going to think you need the Lord. You're not. I don't care who you are. You're not. You're going to think you can get along fine without God. He's our help because we need help. You remember the account when King Hezekiah heard of the threat? Coming of the Syrians, he encouraged the princes of Israel, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God, listen, to help us. <laughs> I love the language. He said, I know that's a big army, and they have more than us. But guess what? We literally have more than them. You know why? Because we have the Lord, the great helper. Don't be afraid. He goes on to say, he's with us to help us. And that's good enough. But he said, and to fight our battle. <laughs> I love it. God fights the battle with us and for us. He sees something bigger than the king of Assyria and his massive army. He saw the king of heaven and earth and his massive power. That's what he saw. He saw flesh and blood with the Assyrians, but when he looked toward heaven, he saw the source of omnipotence, power. He said, we are right. Doesn't matter who the army is. We are all right. He knew that almightiness was seated on the throne, our God in the heavens Amen. but he gives another reason why we should trust him not only because he's our help fear not the Lord is thy helper but he's also their shield he's our support but he's also our protection it signifies that the Lord is the protector and a place of refuge. There were two types of shields used in the battle. You had a short one, short one, and then you had a full body one. The short one was for close combat, hand-to-hand -hand combat, if you will. The big one was to protect the whole body. Here's what I think the psalmist is going after. I think he's saying the Lord is our support system, but he's also our full protection. He's our full protection. He can ward off the enemies if he wants to. Like what Paul said, he can cover us fully. When we put on the whole armor of God, notice 
It's God's armor. It comes from him. He provides it. We put it on, but he provides it so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder against all that the enemy throw our way. We have the spirit as well. Shield off the word. Shield, quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Because they are fiery darts, darts of the wicked. But we are completely covered for the Lord, listen, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Do you hear the language? It's our protection. You believe that? Maybe, maybe you think that, that, that thing you may have tucked in your drawer by your bed is your protection. Maybe you may think the security system that you have is your protection. Maybe the baseball bat that you have on your back seat on the floor somewhere, you may think that's your protection. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know, but I'm sticking with the psalmist. He said, the Lord is my protection. Our soul waited for the Lord, for he, listen, is our help and our shield, our support and our protection. But he gives us something else. Clock moving really fast. The results of trusting the Lord. Not only do we have the reason, not only is there a command to trust the Lord, not only is there a reason to trust the Lord because he's our help and shield. Notice the progression. Maybe I should say the digression. Starts with Israel. He moves to Aaron in verse 10. And then he gets to verse 11. He says, everyone. It's right there. It's right there. Israel, I'm talking to you. I'm going to the priestly tribe. I'm talking to Aaron. Now I'm talking to everyone. I'm saying, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And as a result of trusting in the Lord, it's right there, I think. Verse 13. He will bless them. It's right there. He will bless them. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. After calling on all, on all to trust the Lord. Why? Because God is trustworthy. All, all the trust. It's really a national call in the sense. He can take it all the way down and even get the individual families and say, trust the Lord. He's a help and a strength. He's a help and a protector. He's a support, everything you need. And then he said, there's a result for it. You'll be blessed. <laughs> you will be blessed if you do it. He will bless them that fear him. Verse 12 says, he will be mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless. You see, the, again, he's doing the same thing. Israel, Aaron, everyone. Says the same thing. Israel, Aaron, everyone. If, if, you're, if you're out of it, it's your own fault. It's your own fault. I'm talking about responsibility now. I'm not talking about God's sovereignty. We talked about that in verse 2. But I'm talking about responsibility right now. We're called upon to trust the Lord. And look at the response. God blesses. It's right there in the text. He blesses. He's, he's mindful. And it's not that God forgets, but he's thinking on us. 
He's thinking on us. He is thinking on us in a way of blessing. And sometimes we look at the word blessing as bestowing strength and power so that we could do what God called us to do. It's not only material things, and that's sometimes how we think of it when we hear the word blessed. He's blessed me with material things, but how about being blessed with strength to do what God called us to do? That's a great blessing. That's a great blessing. He's blessed us. He's thinking on us. He's blessing those that trust in him. Israel as a whole, the priesthood, and everyone else. Oh, young and old, you are called upon, I am called upon to trust the Lord for the blessing, for the goodness he bestows, for the kindness that he gives, for the gift forgiveness that he grants. Happy are thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. We ought to bless the name of the Lord. I don't know of a greater blessing of trusting in the Lord than having our sins forgiven and put away, put away forever. Amen. Can I say that one more time? You don't mind, do you? I don't know of a greater blessing of trusting in the Lord than having our sins forgiven and put away forever. You got more sins than you can count even the ones you don't even remember. <laughs> but to have sin put away, covered by Almighty God, is a great blessing. Amen. To have sins washed by the blood of Jesus Christ is a great blessing. I don't know of a greater blessing than having the sinless son of God living for me, dying for me, rising for me, ascending for me, sitting for me, and coming back for me. I don't know of a greater blessing. I don't. Imagine that. Jesus Christ standing in your place. When you deserve all of the judgment of Almighty God, and I really don't think we fully understand that. If we knew something of the terror of the Lord, our bones would be shaking. But I don't think we understand it. We get shaken up by a little thunder. But just imagine when the Most High descends. I don't think we fully grasp that. The greatest thing that God could have done, sending her son to stand in my place. When I deserve nothing but wrath, you deserve nothing but wrath. You deserve for God not to hear you at all. You and I deserve that. We actually deserve for God not to do anything for us, just to leave us to ourselves. No protection, no anything, no mercy, nothing. We deserve that. Well, as the confession would say, subject to every misery. Imagine if God gave us every misery. That's a mercy in and of itself. But to have Jesus, the only begotten son of God, to come and live for me. The manger is God's glory. The angel shouted. 
Glory to God in the highest. Why, why did that choir start singing? <laughs> that choir, I don't know who was playing the piano, Brother Frank, but that choir started singing, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. What a mercy. What a mercy. That God was seeing his son who would come and live out that life that we could never live Never. Perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. Think about it for a moment. Perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. We don't know what that is. We've never seen perfect obedience. Everything said right, thought right, done right. The motives were always right. We don't even know what that is. We've never seen it. Except in Jesus. That one... And that God would take that perfection of beauty, that obedience, and say, guess what? It's yours. <laughs> it's yours. It's yours. You didn't work it out, but it's yours. Who wouldn't want that? If God requires perfection, 100% of us keeping 100% of his law, 100% of the time, and we can't do that. And he said, I've done it in my son, and I'm giving that to you. No, God, I don't want it. That's insanity. I require perfect obedience and I've produced it. Do you want it? No, I don't want it. I want imperfection. That's insanity. A perfect righteousness granted to us. I say it like I've said it I don't know how many times. A righteousness that's not my own, but a righteousness that I can own. In Jesus Christ. Not only would he live that perfect life, but he would die knowing that I owed a debt. You owed a debt, and he would pay it. You didn't ask him to do that. He just did it. He did it. You owe it. I didn't owe it, but I paid it. Insanity. What he paid... What I love about it is the Father accepted it. You paid it. I accept it. Writing a check. I had a big debt. I owe you, but I can't pay it. Jesus, I pay it all. See it right there? Written in blood. Here's the check. Debt pay. He died for us. Thank the Lord he didn't stay dead. He rose again, which signified that the Father accepted everything, not just the death, everything, everything that the Son has done on behalf of sinners, everything, full acceptance. And because he has accepted everything that Jesus has done, he accepts the sinner in Jesus completely. God is not holding anything back, y'all. Full acceptance. I don't have to go now shaking and trembling. I can go now boldly because I have someone in his right hand who paid it all for me. I don't know of a greater blessing than having a righteousness which is not of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith. A great blessing.
God will bless us. That's what the psalmist said. And I don't know of a greater blessing than being brought out of the first Adam's dysfunctional family and placed in the second Adam's functional family. I don't know of a greater blessing than being made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Do we think about that? I know, I know it's good biblical language, but do, do we really think about that? Listen for a moment. Holy God, perfection. Holy Son, perfection. Sinner, joined to Holy Son, heir to the Holy God. Do we think about that? It doesn't even seem right. Imperfection connected to perfection. And now... I'm not just viewing imperfection, but because you're connecting my son, connected even to my son, all I see now is perfection. Not your perfection, but the one he produced. Listen, it's real, y'all. This is not fiction. We have to believe it. If we don't believe it, what do we believe? I don't know of a greater blessing than to have God call us his children and we in turn cry, Abba, Father. I don't know of a greater blessing. At one point, not a child, and now adopted into the family. I don't know of a greater blessing. Maybe you do. We have these blessings because God is the living God. Let us not glory in our denomination. Can I say that again? It's all right to have association and denomination. Let's not glory in our denomination. We Baptists, you know. Let us not glory in our spiritual knowledge. Let us not glory in our ministries. Let us not glory in our abilities. Let us not glory in our families. But let us glory in the living God. May that be and may he be the glory and rejoicing of our hearts. Because he indeed is worthy. said it before. And I want to say it again. To pray and not do is hypocrisy. But to do and not pray is also idolatry. Let us rest in this great God who wants and who gets glory. And let it be our heart's desire to see to it that he does. May God help us to do so. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for giving us your Son, that glorious one. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and thank you for his greatness as well as his faithfulness. Thank you for giving us a righteousness that has become our own through your Son, and that we could walk with you Lord, stumbling along the way and at the same time 
having a hold of the Savior's hand, how we thank you, our Father, that when we stand before you and we are welcome into glory, it won't be because we have done everything right, but it will be because Jesus has accomplished everything on our behalf. It will be because we've been purged by his blood. And it will be because the Spirit has worked in our souls. Father, help us to love you because of who you are. And to thank and praise you for what you have done. Encourage your people, we pray. Do help Brother Bill this evening. Strengthen him. Help him. Encourage him. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat> now, I'm the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.